Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Please now hear God's word. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down on my father, sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Ascends the reading of God's word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for the book of Revelation, for the seven churches and their letters that we have here kept and preserved for your church today. And Lord, we, we do thank you for the great privilege of being able to read these words, to meditate upon them. And Lord, we pray that this evening you would, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, allow us to understand uh, what is written in this text and that it might transform our lives, that we would place ourselves under your word and allow it to change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Perspectives matter. Perhaps you've experienced before in your life, it's Uh, very likely that you've had a time where you've uh, talked past someone. Perhaps it's a conversation that you've had with uh, a family member, perhaps a spouse, perhaps uh, a co-worker, perhaps an employee-employer relationship, where you sit down and you have a conversation, and when the two of you part ways, you come away with two very different ideas about how the conversation went. Uh, Someone may say, oh, that was a wonderful conversation. I'm glad we had it. Uh, The other person thinks about everything went wrong that could have. Uh, Perspectives matter. And as we look at the text of Revelation chapter 3, we're going to see that the perspective of the risen Christ and the perspective of the church in Laodicea do not match up. They do not uh, see eye to eye on the condition of the church. The church in Laodicea thinks things are going quite well, and yet Christ is gracious enough to have this letter written to the church to call them to repentance, because all is not well. And so we see in this passage that Christ gives his church the proper spiritual perspective. And the passage can be divided uh, very much like the other uh, seven letters, or the other six letters, and that is 
Uh, first, the address and attributes in verse 14. Uh, secondly, we have the assessment in verses 16 through 20. And then finally, the promise from the risen Christ in verses 20 through 22. So we'll look at each of those and see how Christ challenges this church to uh, recognize the, their true uh, spiritual state. First, the address and attributes in verse 14. Uh, here we have the letter being addressed to the church in Laodicea. The church in Laodicea was about uh, 40 miles away from the church in Philadelphia. That is the, the church that comes immediately before this in, in the text of Revelation. This would have been the, the last uh, stop for the letter carrier and he, as he made his way from the Isle of Patmos and then around to the various churches. And it's also just a, a few miles down the road from the city of Colossae, to which we have in our own Bibles uh, Paul's letter to the saints in uh, the, the Colossian saints, the saints in Colossae. And if we could describe the church of Laodicea with uh, one word, it would be uh, affluent. They were very, very affluent. There was a great amount of wealth, not only in the church, but also in the city. Uh, the, the city itself was known as a, as a great location uh, for a great deal of banking. It was a place where there was the production of uh, wool. There would be black wool that was produced in Laodicea. It had a, uh, a center for uh, medical attention where people could come, and specifically where there was uh, an eye salve that was produced in the city that was said to have some uh, medicinal properties. And this is a, a city that, uh, by the time that this letter was written, just recently it had experienced a severe earthquake. And uh, much of the city was destroyed. And the, the historians tell us that when, when the Roman government said, we were offering to help you rebuild the city of Laodicea, uh, the Laodiceans said, we don't need your money. We can do this ourselves." And they, and they rebuilt the city with their own uh, supplies. So a very affluent city, and it seems that this affluence is, is also impacting the church and if we see in the text, it's actually skewing the uh, church's vision just a little bit. Next, we see the, uh, the attributes. Uh, with each of the letters, there are various attributes of Christ that are highlighted and uh, shown before the different churches. And each particular church needs to see a different particular attribute of the risen Christ. And we have a few here. First, the Amen, the faithful and true, the beginning of creation. Uh, amen is a, is a word that is carried over into the New Testament from the Hebrew language, uh, meaning something like, uh, let it be so or verily. Uh, faithful and true. This is something that uh, is likely an allusion to Isaiah ch chapter 65, verse 16. Uh, where it speaks of Yahweh in the Old Testament and says, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth, as it says in the ESV. Uh, in the Hebrew, it is the God of Amen. 
the one who is true. And as we just read from our reading in John chapter 5, Jesus is able to say, I have come in my Father's name. He is the one who has come among sinful people, and He is the faithful and true witness who is able to bring us words from heaven to tell us what God is like, to tell us the way in order for us to be reconciled to God. And He is faithful and true in all that He speaks. He is to be listened to. In contrast, we'll see that the church of Laodicea has been faithless rather than faithful. If the church in Philadelphia can be held up as a prime example of a faithful church, Laodicea can be held up as an example of a faithless church. And then third and finally, the beginning of creation. Also in some translations, the the ruler of creation. And in Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 4, he speaks about how he wants the Colossian readers uh, to read the letter that was sent to the Laodiceans. And he wants the uh, Laodiceans to read the letter that was sent to the Colossians. And I believe that uh, the church in Laodicea would have known immediately what is being spoken of here when Christ is identified as the beginning of creation. Because if we read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, uh, we have that wonderful Christ hymn where it speaks about Christ as the one who is the, the firstborn of all creation. Now this, uh, contrary to the uh, early Christological heresy known as Arianism, this does not teach that the, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, ever had a beginning but it teaches that all of creation was made by and through and for the Son, as we see in John chapter 1, verse 1 and following. He is the one who has made all of reality. He is the one who rules over all of reality. And the church in Laodicea needs to be reminded of that fact, that it is Christ who is the ruler of all creation, that it is Christ who is the, in charge of all things. Within the past year, I heard a, a story about a man who was uh, unconverted, and he was attending church faithfully with his wife. And it was through the mere reading of Genesis chapter 1 that this man was converted. The minister stood up before the congregation and just read very plainly Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And apparently this man immediately, a light bulb went off and he said, if, if that's true, I need to live like that. If God is the one who has created all things, if He is the Lord of heaven and earth, if, if everything that I look around at is made by God, well, I need to live in light of that fact. And that's what the Laodiceans need to be reminded. Do we, as, as believers, do we consciously live like that? Knowing that everything that we set our eyes upon has been made by God, it belongs to God, and we must live in His world, according to His Word? Do we do that, or do we attempt to make up our own reality uh, for our lives and those around us? I hope not. 
Next, we will look at the assessment in verses 15 through 20. Christ begins uh, very similarly to the other letters. He says, I know your works. Even if everyone else might not know what's going on within the local church, I know down to the very detail what is happening. Nothing escapes his view. And unfortunately, the church in Laodicea is in a very difficult and terrible situation. He says, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. And this is one of those passages in Scripture where it is of great benefit uh, to study archaeology. Uh, there's some passages in Scripture where uh, we, we learn more about the passage as we grow in our knowledge of, of the Hebrew and Greek language. Uh, there's passages where we uh, grow in our knowledge of the significance when we, uh, when we understand more about the ancient world. And this is one of those passages. Uh, Laodicea, as I said, it was uh, located just a few miles away from Colossae. And in Colossae, it had uh, icy cold water that came out of the mountainous region uh, so that it was very refreshing for people to drink. Just down the road uh, in the other direction, at a town named Heropolis, there were hot springs uh, where hot, warm water bubbled up and it was uh, said to be helpful for medicinal purposes, uh, hot, hot baths that people could, could soak in. But Laodicea, for all of their wealth, for all of their riches, for all of their prestige, they had a little bit of an issue with their water supply. And so they needed to uh, pipe in water from these other cities. And so as we've done archaeology, we've actually found uh, aqueduct systems that have been built to bring water into the ancient city of Laodicea. And as they unearthed these uh, water systems, they found that there was uh, mineral buildup that had uh, built up over time on these aqueducts. And so with that in mind, the text becomes uh, very clear. In Laodicea, if you were going to get water, it would either come from, it would either be icy cold to begin with or hot. But by the time it traveled a few miles down those aqueducts, it would have been lukewarm upon arrival and it would have had a uh, bad taste from the mineral buildup. Now, I very much enjoy uh, coffee every morning. And I, I would say I'm not sure if I would have been able to make it this far uh, in my seminary studies without a, a steady diet of coffee. And there's been a few times in my life where uh, I've been expecting to have a nice, hot, warm of black coffee. And then I realize that as I take a sip of it, it is stale and lukewarm. And the initial knee-jerk reaction is always just spit it out. I don't want to taste it. In the same way, when uh, people were going to drink this water, if it had that nasty taste, if it was lukewarm, it just wouldn't taste good and it would not sit well on the stomach. And so here Christ is saying that the church is lukewarm. That the church does not sit well on the stomach, if you will. That the knee-jerk reaction is to spit it out because their works are disgusting. 
in the sight of the risen Christ. I, am, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is very gracious, we know that. But he doesn't play games. And he doesn't make light of sin and a failure to take him and his word seriously. And so, he wants them to have the proper perspective. If you look in verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Not realizing that you don't have the eyesight to see spiritual reality correctly. As Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, when speaking with Nicodemus, without being born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. He says that they're naked. Rather than being clothed, they are naked. And throughout the scriptures, after Genesis chapter 3, it's, it's not a good thing to be unclothed to be exposed. And so he counsels them and he wants them to buy from him. Buy from him gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may be hidden. Now with each of these, there are uh, spiritual ways in which they are to be interpreted. In First, First Peter Peter, declare, or Peter compares faith with gold and gold with faith. That is something that they need. Uh, garments, not only throughout the Old Testament, but especially in the New, we see uh, garments as being uh, a picture of, of the righteousness of Christ that must be given to believers. They need to be clothed. And then finally, that they need salve in order to anoint their eyes. They need to be able to actually see spiritual reality correctly rather than being blind. But if you look at the text, you'll notice that Christ doesn't mention any, any price. He doesn't say what, how they're going to go about buying uh, these various commodities. And I believe that as this letter is being written in the backdrop is Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts. To the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, speaks about anyone who wills, anyone who desires, come and drink, anyone who is thirsty without price, without money. The only thing that Christ is requiring this church to do is acknowledge that their perspective is wrong and that they must repent and return to him, bringing their sin. Bringing their sin. All the uh, garments that were made in Laodicea, they cannot help the church. All the eye salve and the uh, different medicines that were produced, it cannot solve their spiritual plight. And he wants them to know that this is for their best, that he is bringing a hard message against them. That he is highlighting the fact that all is not well, that their perspective is wrong. It is a sign that he loves them. Verse 19, those whom I love, 
I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And I think with the group that we have this evening, all of you in your own experience can, can tell and can testify that there have been various points in your life where the Lord brings you under discipline and it's very painful. But in the end, you're able to thank God and raise your hands in praise and say, thank you, Lord, that you love me enough to not let me go my own way. Thank you that you love me enough to discipline me. This church needs to understand that they still have an opportunity to return. That the Lord, out of gracious love, is doing this. And he calls them to repent and he uses this uh, illustration of standing outside the door. And this, verse 20, this is one of those texts that is been variously interpreted. Uh, you've perhaps heard it used in, in an evangelistic context where it's speaking to unbelievers. And while Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, you just need to uh, repent for the first time and, and let him in. Well, that's, that's true that unbelievers do need to repent and, and to turn to Christ and allow him to dwell in their heart by faith. And yet this is addressed to the church. This is addressed to those who are professing believers. And what is pictured here is an opportunity for renewed fellowship. That he stands at the door and he knocks. And what is so astounding is that it is the risen Christ, the head of the church, who is standing outside of the church asking to come in. But they have become self-satisfied. They have become, they have fallen into the delusion that they are self-sufficient. And he gives this genuine offer of renewed fellowship. Stands at the door and knocks and he, he cries out. Now, if you could just imagine for a moment, uh, someone in your life that you love very deeply. Uh, perhaps it's your spouse. Perhaps it's another family member. Perhaps a, a very close friend, someone that you love very deeply and you trust them. And if you were inside your house and you heard them, uh, the sound of their voice calling out to you and they're knocking upon the door and they tell you that they have this great gift that they want to share with you, of course, you would immediately say, throw open the doors, let them in. And yet, that is not what they have done so far with the risen Christ. And he is not only, yes, offering uh, renewed fellowship, he is offering the, the greatest gift possible. He's offering himself. He is offering himself to these wayward believers. And this is not only something that needs to be applied to the congregation at large, but also every single individual. If we are a believer, we must not only... Uh, come together as a, as a corporate body, but as individuals have dealings with Christ. Our own souls. Paul in Galatians chapter 2 speaks about how Christ loved me, gave himself up for me. It's both individual and corporate. Let's turn finally to the promise, verses 20 through 21 actually 20 through 22, and that is 
there is the promise that if they open, he will come in and he will eat with them. And in the ancient world, uh, table fellowship was of the, of the greatest uh, intimacy. To have someone come into your home and to sit at table with them and share a meal. That is one of the promises that is held out for the believer. And we need to remember that when there is a renewed fellowship with Christ, He knows all of our sin. He has paid for it all, past, present, and future. Nothing surprises Him. And we ought not think if if we are in a position like the Laodiceans where we have become self-sufficient, where we are not relying upon the Lord, where we are willfully going on in sin, that when we turn back in repentance and belief, we ought not think that the Lord is going to be uh, angry with us. Uh, Thomas Goodwin has a, a short work on the heart of Christ towards sinners on earth where he presses home the fact that if you study the Gospels, you, you see that Christ has such love for His disciples. He has such love for those who are around Him. If you recall with the disciples, after, uh, after they have betrayed Christ, after Peter has denied Christ three times and the disciples have fled away and said, we don't want anything to do with Him, remember how Christ accepts them back. How there's full restoration for Peter. And likewise, his heart has not changed as he sits at the throne of God now. He is eager to accept his people back. He has made full provision for them so that when there is renewed fellowship, if we could put it this way, when we open up the door and and say, yes, we want this renewed fellowship, he will not be standing there with a scowl on his face, unhappy to see us. But as we heard this morning, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, there is such joy when believers come to their senses and repent. And this should fuel our repentance. We, we lose nothing but our sin and we gain everything. The second promise is that these believers who conquer will sit down or sit with Christ on the throne. And we've seen this in a few other letters, but the the promise is held out to the believers who conquer. They will reign with Christ in the new heavens and new earth. They will receive far more than they ever have deserved. Made their co-heirs with Christ. Wonderful blessings that are held out for the believer. And yet there there must be there must be repentance. That's that's the key for getting getting back on track. So as we conclude our our study of these seven letters to the churches in Revelation, I think there is something in each of these letters for every particular congregation with every particular circumstance that they will face. There's something for every believer, wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord. And so may we be those who are zealous to apply this to our own hearts and to respond in faith, knowing that Christ offers us this fellowship. He who has an ear to hear, let him see what the, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do thank you that you love us enough to 
Uh, Tell us in your word where we need to amend our ways and, and return to you. We thank you for the promises that you hold us out in your word. And Lord, we pray that we would cherish and promise them, knowing that they are true and that they're spoken by the one who is the great Amen. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.